Hey friends, this is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. I am your host, Krista Horton, and I am without my usual co-host, Zach, today. He has done a couple solo episodes, so I thought it was time for me to do the same. Um, And I'm excited, though, because I have a wonderful guest and one of my friends, Maria Eckersley, with me today. Maria, I am so glad that you're here. Me too. I am delighted to be here. (laughs) Well, we're delighted to have you and excited. Um, I'm excited to share some things that you have taught me. I wanted to do a bonus episode this week because we are studying, if you listen to our episode already this week, we're studying um, Mosiah chapters 18 through 25, which is a lot of chapters and a lot going on in the story. We're finishing out all that's been happening in the twists and turns of these first (laughs) chapters of Mosiah. And not only the twists and turns, but the time warping and all that that we've already talked about. And because we didn't get a chance to dig into some of these just really great scriptures and specifically Mosiah chapter 18, which I had the chance to hear Maria talk at Lightkeepers. Um, We'll say this in part of your introduction, but Maria also serves as a family history missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and um, does many other things too. So we'll get there. But I love the way that she taught these chapters and used them as such a guide of for our lives and our covenants and as a disciple and followers of Jesus Christ. So this is something a little different. Usually on our podcast, we really kind of span a few chapters and focus in on a couple things. But today we're just going to sit in Mosiah chapter 18 and learn together there. So, but first, um, Maria is a mother, an educator, a maker, a creator. Maria, I'm making these up. This is what I know of you. (laughs) Perfect. A a super talented public speaker and just an all-around wonderful person. I met her for the first time last year and was instantly just wanted to be around her. And I know that many other people feel that way too. Maria also has a, a company that she has created sharing lessons surrounding Come Follow Me, ways that she, to help you teach your family. And so Maria, I would love you to introduce yourself a little better to our audience and also share about what your passions are and um, what you do for your business. Yeah, happy to do that. Um, yeah, I am a mom of six. So my oldest is 20 and my youngest just turned seven. So I, that's really my full-time gig. And then I'm yes. also a graphic designer in the wee hours of the night. But my passion forever has been scriptures. It comes from my mom. She was an institute teacher for years and an early morning seminary teacher. And um, it's just something that she kind of instilled in me. So I've you know taught gospel doctrine for years. I've never been, um, you know, I don't work for CES. I've never been a seminary teacher, but I, I just really love, my brain really loves object lessons and ways to like tie the scriptures to real life. So I try to find as many opportunities to do that as possible. So some of them come through my mission, like you mentioned, um, I'm a church service missionary for family search and I get to teach a little bit there. And a lot of it comes through my website, and my Instagram, where I just kind of share ideas. But this, um, the course that I created is mostly about that creative side of things. I know that can be a hurdle for a lot of people. So they can love the scriptures, but they really struggle to translate that to something their kids can understand. And so that's kind of where I, my, that's my sweet spot. I love that piece. So coming up with creative object lessons and fun ideas is that's what I love. So that's what I do. Oh, well, and you do it so well, because as after I got done introducing you, I thought, 
wait a second, all of the great stuff that you share on your social media and those little tips and tricks that you share for everyday life. Yeah. This course, in my opinion, as I've gone through it has just been that like related to the scriptures instead. It's you showing all (laughs) these cool tips and tricks and fun ways to not only streamline your family's study and learning together, but also just make it a little more enjoyable and maybe even a little more meaningful or connect to kids that sometimes are hard to connect to. Right. Well, and especially now we're we're all doing it at home. I feel like one of the biggest struggles for me is, you know, I've got kids from six to 20. So I've got to find yeah. lessons that really can kind of apply all across the board. And so I feel like that takes a little extra oomph for me to figure out, okay, how can I make Mosiah 18 connect for my 17 year old? And how can I make it connect for my eight year old? That's hard. So I feel yeah. like that's, that's where we need a little extra help. And I know you share a lot just on your social media pages too, of ideas that you share in your courses. So yeah. you can follow her there. I will put links um, in our show notes for you to find her and connect with Maria because she is a good person to connect to. And we will just dive into our study today and some of these things that I'm excited to talk about. So we'll just get started with kind of some thoughts that I have had as I've read through some notes that Maria sent and some of the thoughts that she's shared at Lightkeepers, which I think I'll actually put a, a link to the, your Lightkeepers. Don't you guys oh, have that'd a- that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. There's an online version that's totally free. That that would be great. So we'll put that a link to that in because I think that's just a great resource for people and something to learn from as well. But um, as we talk about Mosiah 18, I think we always go to those chapters of, or the verses that we know well of mourn with those that mourn and Mm -hmm. comfort those that stand in need of comfort. And we all know a little about Mosiah 18. Um, But something I was thinking about was that we often talk about covenants as one big ball of covenants. Like we make a covenant and, you know, we go, are you keeping your covenants? Are you renewing your covenants? And how do we really dissect that into making it distinct and different from each other instead of just one ball of yarn um, distinguishing between what these covenants are. And I think Alma teaches these people what the covenants are and it can become maybe a little more meaningful and just, I think, a great thing to really think about what is it that we are actually promising to do when we make, you know, quote unquote, make these covenants with God to do all these things that we're talking about. So with that in mind, Mm -hmm. um, we're able to dig into this Mosiah 18 a little bit. So Maria, I'll just have you start. Well, one of the things I love about this, and we often kind of brush right past it, at least I do, is I love this concept of them having to go to the wilderness to make these covenants. So if you look in 18, like in verse four, it talks about this land that they find and we know it has pure water in it. So you think it would be this coveted land in this time and place in history, but it's also beast infested. So they talk about it being, you know, I wonder if it's kind of more like a no man's land that nobody wants to go into. And I love that over the course of making these covenants and being, you know, united together, this, you know, by the end of the chapter, we'll get to it, but it just becomes this place of beauty. But I really love how I, I, to me, I, I relate to that. I can understand. I feel like every time I had to make a covenant, even at age eight, when I'm going into the waters of baptism and I'm putting on this jumpsuit that I've never put on before, and I'm unsure of what I'm going to do <laughs> and am I going to do it right? And I think there's a little bit of that echo in these verses where they have to be in an unfamiliar place. Nobody feels like they're completely at ease. Even Alma, who's a relatively new convert, you know, they're all kind of trying to figure this out together. And I feel like we see that a lot with the covenants that we make, especially as you kind of divide them up individually and look at things like mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. I think the fact that they're kind of in unfamiliar territory is sweet. I just, I love that little piece of it. 
I've never thought of that. Like I knew I've, I specifically this time I, I noticed the, like the wild beasts and it was this beast, it had been infested, you know, by these, yeah. but I never put that together with the pure water. And that's kind of a cool thought when you think of, it was maybe likening it to us in that way of mm-hmm. they had this pure water, they had what they needed and it wasn't always easy because they yeah. were in that unfamiliar place. Like you're mentioning. I just love that. Yeah. So I cool. love that. Too. And on purpose, not easy. You know, I think he mm-hmm. wants everybody to be, I think, you know, if you've ever been in a situation where everybody's new, you know, like maybe you're going into a store for the first time or everybody's new, everybody's a little bit uneasy. So I feel like you're more apt to look out for each other and be like, I can empathize with you. We all feel a little bit unsure. And I think mm-hmm. that's, it kind of gets everybody out of their comfort zone. And I feel like that's what my covenants do is they kind of nudge me into a higher role rather than let me rest on my laurels a little bit. But yeah, yeah I love that piece. And I even love the promise of coming into the fold and you know when they start getting into the actual covenants in verse eight and you see this he he says if you want to come into the fold of god you're going to do these things and as i was studying i one of the things i learned is that a fold we often think of a fold as like a flock of sheep but a fold is actually the enclosure around a flock of sheep and it has a gate and it's something that is you know guarded for their safety and i just i love that imagery as i'm thinking about making these covenants that they're designed to keep me safe, not necessarily to pull me out of the world, but to give me room to grow and strengthen in a safe enclosure so that when he needs me, I'm strong and I'm ready. And I just, I loved that imagery, especially when you look at, you know, the baptism being the gate. We see that like in Second Nephi 9.41, this idea of baptism is the gate by which we enter. And I just think it's this lovely parallel. I think sometimes we can it can feel like a little bit, I don't know, in a world where we're all wanting to be free spirits. It's kind of the (laughs) culture right now of like, no, I do my own thing. And that's kind of the cool thing to do is to think of that as you come into God's fold, that he's wanting to expand things for you as him as the gate picker. Like he's wanting that to be something that we enter into in this beautiful way, not in a constricting way. Yeah. So I, when I was teaching my kids, I, I talked about how, you know, when we have young plants in the garden, you often will put like a little shield around them and it's not to, it's not to block out anything else, right? It's just to give them space to grow safely so that when they're strong enough, they can, you know, do whatever they're needed to do. But I think, I think it's supposed to be a respite, right? It's supposed to be a place where we can go and rest and grow in the Lord. And I think where you're thinking about these people, I mean, they have just left King Noah's city where they have been paying huge taxes. Their whole town is surrounded by bloodthirsty Lamanites at all times. And they're always worried about a war coming. So I think to find a place that feels like a gated enclosure where they can be safe must have been like this sweet, sweet blessing. I just think they probably appreciated it in a way that we maybe don't because they, they yeah. I, I don't live in a threatening place. So I just yeah. think that's beautiful. Oh, or maybe we do, we do feel like we live in a threatening place sometimes, you know, like it's sure. okay to be a little protected. I love, Ooh, I just, for some reason, that analogy of protecting the plants in that way just is it's so beautiful to me. What a fun, yeah. what a fun idea. See, see what I mean, guys? She has all of these cool things. <laughs> I You're love so it. so good at that. 
Yeah, I also love, so if you're looking for ways to teach your kids, one of my favorite, going off these verses about covenants and breaking them down, I, I think it's really easy to talk to your kids about, you need to keep your baptismal covenants. And when we partake of the sacrament, we're renewing our baptismal covenants, but it's it's easy to lose track of what those were. Yeah, and again, so, that ball of like, the kids are like, what's my covenant again? Right. Oh, what, what, did is I, it? what did I promise? What did I do? Uh, <laughs> even for me, you know, you just Even for make... as adults. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So one of the things I love to teach my kids is this, and it initiated from a conversation with them, our previous bishop who had this idea of when you take his name upon you, you know, the baptismal covenants are basically three big things. It's take his name upon you, keep his commandments, and then love and serve God. And then the best way to love and serve God is by serving your fellow men. So he gives you some kind of breakout promises that you can make there. But so the way I teach my kids on this one is um, think of it, whatever your favorite sports team is. So my son loves basketball. So we talk about basketball a lot in our object lessons, but um, taking his name upon you is basically like putting on his jersey, right? It's this idea of I am part of God's team. I'm representing him at all times. The same way, you know, if, if I was on the jazz or something else, I would be representing the jazz all the time, not just on the court. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of, I think it's easy for us to think that when I take his name upon me, that's me making a sacrifice. You know, oh, you're welcome, Heavenly Father. I'm going to take this name upon me. But really what we're doing is, at least to me, I think, is we are taking on the uniform of God and we get all the blessings of being on his team. You know, the feeling of, not being alone, the feeling of knowing who you are and where you're going and what your purpose is here. That's all part of being on a team. The same way if I was on a basketball team, I know when the games are, what my position is on the court, what I do. And so I think that that Jersey idea, at least it resonates with my kids. They seem to grasp that covenant better when I kind of break it down that way. Yeah. And then for keeping the commandments, we kind of extend it the same way and teach the rules of basketball. So you might even as we go out and play as a family in the driveway, you talk about boundary lines and you talk about what good are you if you're really good at shooting the ball, but you don't know where the boundaries are. That doesn't help the team, right? And our goal here is to be a team. So we talk about how the rules and the tape on the ground, that's like keeping the commandments in our baptismal covenant. And then that last one of loving God and serving, that's all about getting in the game. You know, it's about taking a ball and getting on the court and you're going to mess up and you're going to make mistakes and he'll give you ample chances to, to try again. But I love this idea of like, our job is to love and to serve each other the same way I do when I step onto a court. It's not just me. I'm trying to, you know, do the plays correctly. And if somebody's having a rough game day, I'm going to overcompensate a little and help them out. And anyway, so that kind of analogy helps my kids a little. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the other things I love is when you think, as I'm trying to teach my kids, the reason we partake of these covenants, the reason we, we make these promises is because he offers these incredible blessings back. And and I, I really feel like that same analogy, the team analogy extends there too. So if you think of God as our, our divine coach of sorts, um, and his whole goal is to help us succeed. So I feel like he gives us these blessings to kind of help us on our way. So when I think of the Holy Ghost, what I told my son is it's kind of like the whistle, right? On a court, if you've ever played in basketball, it's loud. The crowd is loud. Your teammates are loud, but you can always hear that referee whistle and you know, okay, I've got to stop. Something's wrong. Something's, or I need to adjust. And same thing with my coach's voice. I could always hear my coach's voice and I could get it over any other, you know, sound in the room. And that's the Holy Ghost for me. It's just this internal whistle that says, Hey, look up, look around and get your bearings. Um, And I think when you think about the remissions of sin promise and this idea of being born again, this opportunity to be born again, it's, it's like drills for me in basketball or in volleyball. It's, you're going to, you're going to go through these things over and over and over again in life. And I think it's really easy, especially for my teenagers when they fail somehow, or even just mess up a little bit to think, 
I've let everybody down. I can't do this again. But if you've ever been on a team, you still show up for practice on Monday. <laughs> Even if you messed up the entire game, your team expects you to come back on Monday and try it again. And so I love that idea of drills. And then, of course, the ultimate blessing of you can have a godlike eternal life. And to me, that's like the trophy, right? It's that end goal. And the promise is that he's going to stick with you through the entire season. It doesn't matter how much you struggle or how many drills you have to do or how many times he has to blow that whistle. He's with you and he will stick with you until the very last second. And I just, anyway, I just think there's so much beauty in it. And I feel like if I can tie it to something they love, then the next time he's on the court, even if just an inkling of that comes back to him, you know, the next time he dribbles a ball and if he gets a thought, oh, I think I remember my mom talking about the Holy Ghost. You know, those kind of things, I feel like, let the spirit bring things to our remembrance. So that's why I feel like when when it's when we're teaching the scriptures, it's so good to add some context that applies to their life. So for me, that the sport analogy seems to do some good with my kids. Yeah. Well, I think all of us, even as as you're talking about that coaching, I think sometimes the way that we talk to my son is like, no, I'm not, I'm not getting after you about this and this or trying to like chastise you. Think of me as your coach. Yeah. I'm there to kind of just provide some experience that I've had, which isn't that exactly what, what God is trying to do for us. And he's yeah. giving us the spirit and giving us so much. Cause I, I was looking in verse 12, just happened upon that as you were talking and he's talking about, you know, they cried saying, Oh Lord, pour out thy spirit upon thy servant that he may do his work. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon them. And as you think about like the spirit is there for us and we should ask for it all the time, but know that our, you know, we're there when there's mistakes made, you can keep right. practicing. That's what a coach does. And certainly a loving God is going to do that same thing for us. So I think that's just beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. What I loved, even just that concept of, you know, we, when you look at those covenants, none of them involve any judgment on our part. So if I'm going to look at who's going to need help in their comfort, who's going to need, it, it just says, comfort those that stand in need of comfort. It just says, you know, bear one another's burdens. It doesn't ask you to decide who deserves it. And the, the way this tied in for me is I, we've spent so many hours. My husband has some medical situations that are tricky that for the last few years, and we've had a lot of time in hospitals. And what I've noticed that healthcare workers are so incredible at is they will rush in and they don't ask questions about do they, do they deserve my care? Maybe they don't deserve the best medicine, or I'm going to give you kind of the sub tier bandaid because you got yourself into this mess. You know, they don't do anything like that. They, they yeah. want to know what happened and they want to, you know, triage the situation, but they would never judge their care based on whether or not you deserve, whether you got yourself into the trouble. So I feel like we can apply that when we're looking at keeping that covenant. I want to be, I want to be like a doctor. I want to be a nurse who, it doesn't matter who comes through that ER door, I'm going to rush and I'm going to help. And that's all that Heavenly Father is asking me to do. And he's going to take care of the other piece. He'll find a way to help them and teach them. My job is just to rush in and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. And I just, I love that imagery in my mind. Oh yeah. What a cool thing to think about. That's so true. And I think that's, that's how God is for us. He understands that we make yeah. mistakes and he's just going to come to our aid. Yeah. And we almost don't believe that's real, but I feel like if I can believe that any yeah. nurse is going to help me, I should believe that my father in heaven will help me. And we, we kind of lose sight of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Oh, and then another one that I love is um, when he talks about, like you mentioned, this idea of pouring out yes. his spirit. Oh, the visual there is just so good. Um, Isn't it? It kind of, I don't know, maybe the art depictions of the Waters of Mormon I have in my head, but I'm just oh, thinking yeah. of this like light, just this spirit being poured upon these people. And the, I love the phrase that they say they clap for joy yeah, um, because great. you know that the spirit was part of that. They were feeling it so strongly. So Yeah, I think anyway. it just implies this abundance, right? It just, yeah. you know, the only thing you pour is something you have a ton of, you know, like if I'm going to pour a chocolate mm -hmm. ganache on top of the cake, it's because I have a whole bunch of it and I know I'm not going <laughs> to do it all. And I feel like that's what Heavenly Father does for us. It's like this promise of, I have so much, just ask and I will pour it out and it will fill every crack and crevice and you know, you're so going to be okay. It's going to soothe mm -hmm. you. Just let me pour it out. And I love that we kind of get to see that process and the joy that comes from, from being filled, you know? Yeah. Seeing these, these people go through it and hoping that we're going to feel the same way too, that we have the opportunity to feel like they do too. Maybe that's yeah. why I like this, these chapter, this chapter so much. And that is, you know, these people experience that, but this translate also, to, this translates also to how we can feel about our covenants, individual covenants and our covenants as a whole as well. Yeah. And I think it's, it implies if you don't feel like that, you know, if for, if, for example, you don't feel filled by thinking about your covenants, that means we should go back to the drawing board and study our covenants some more. Or we should go back to the temple when we can and find time to learn more about the promises. Because I think the, the witness here is this can happen for you. And if you understand this, these promises and what Heavenly Father is offering, you can feel this way. And it doesn't mean you're broken or you're wrong. It just means there's more to learn. Go back and learn. And then you can let that joy kind of seep in. Oh, I just love thinking of that experience that they had here. You know, that like we talked about the joy and then, you know, all of these people coming forth to be baptized. And then as we start into verse verses 16, 17, you know, he starts to kind of organize things and tell them what they're doing. And I think that's maybe where we get more of this maybe a little more specific about mm -hmm. what we're supposed to doing, be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it. Um, but I think it all centers around this one phrase, um, at least, I don't know if I should say it centers around it, but I love this one phrase that for me encompasses a lot of what our individual covenants mean together, if that makes any sense, is that their hearts knit together in unity and love, because isn't that ultimately what we're trying to do, that love towards God? Well, it's the two great commandments. We love God and we love our neighbors. I love the idea of being knit. I just think, again, I'm a visual person, so I just love the idea of being kind of woven into each other's lives. I think, I mean, I have the personality that when there was a group project announced at school, I would be like, oh no, <laughs> you know, that was never <laughs> my favorite because I always felt like I'm going to have to do a lot. Somebody else is going to slack. I don't know. Anyway, mm -hmm. but I feel like in the gospel, everything is a group project. <laughs> what I didn't understand in grade school is that the reason they did group projects was not necessarily to teach me history or English, but it was to teach me how to get along with people, how to work, you know, now that I'm in a workplace environment, I can see where those skills are so critical. And I feel like that's what Heavenly Father is trying to teach all the time is this idea of I'm going to weave you together. And when hearts are knit, I feel like what that means is you're going to spontaneously love and serve each other the same way. It doesn't matter how many times my kids ask for help. I'm always going to be there for them because my heart is deeply knit with my kids. And so I feel like he's asking us to do that all the time. He gives us new callings and new responsibilities and even new directives, you know, like, Hey, we, now we're going to do ministering and we want you to do it in this way. I feel like he's constantly trying to help us find opportunities to be knit. And what I always thought was, okay, that's good. It'll be for the unity. That's, it's a good thing for the church. But 
really, the more I studied these covenants in chapter 18, the more I realized you can't fulfill those covenants unless you're knit. So you can't mourn with those that mourn if you never engage enough to be close to people around you. You, you can't comfort anyone really if you kind of keep to yourself all the time and you know stay in your own little safe space. I feel like what he's asking you to do is, hey, I'm giving you all these opportunities to really be knit, to really comfort, to really mourn. And the cost of that is, you know, you it's the engagement that's hard, right? Our heart hurts when we have to mourn with someone really. Um, but the blessing is that our hearts are woven and you get to see, at least with these people, what that does for them. You know, decades later, things this this idea of our hearts are tied together so tightly, it blesses them, not just in their lifetime, but generations later. So I just, I love that piece of it. So I, for me, one of the big jumps that I see is if you go all the way over to 24, so this is 25 years later, 20 years later, we're not exactly sure of timing, but when you jump into 24, um, this, I, you know, we, we love to talk about these verses like from 12 to 15 and how he lifted their burden so they couldn't feel them on their backs and this idea of, you know, that they, they can't feel the struggles that the Lamanites are giving them. And it's beautiful. But one of the things I really love about it is when you think about these people being knit. I mean, if you've ever been in a presidency or even just among your sisters or your siblings, when your hearts are knit, burdens are lighter um, because he strengthens you through each other. You know, it's almost like, have you ever been in a huddle with a bunch of people and they all put their arms around each other on um, each other's shoulders and you feel like you can, you're knit together and you could lift anything? For, for me, I love the visual of a parachute. So I run field day at our school and there's always, you know, this gigantic parachute that's really heavy and hard and awkward to get out to the middle of the field. Those but parachutes then, are like my favorite thing. Oh, I kind of want to buy one for myself. Thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're the best. But like, mm-hmm. it's so amazing to watch these little kindergartners who, you know, stand on the outsides of this parachute and they, if they work in unison and they really pay attention to each other, they can lift this heavy parachute. And then this gust of air comes in underneath it and it almost escapes their hands. You know, it's like so light that it's almost, they have to reach Mm. up to catch it again. And I feel it to me, when I think of the waters of Mormon people, this group, that's where I think they are. They're, they're in unison and they're working together so diligently that that Heavenly Father can be this gust that just kind of rushes in underneath and lifts that burden. Uh, we know from verse 15 that he strengthened them too. So it, it's not just that he, you know, miraculously lifted all their burdens. He also strengthens them from within. But I think when you have people who are in sync and who are actively trying to keep those individual covenants and lift each other, then all of a sudden you can get those parachute moments where you almost have to pull down because it's so light. I just, I think the visual is just such a pretty thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think they experience that. And then you get to see even as you go farther. So if you go 65 years later, now this is into Alma 5. This is part of what we talked about in Lightkeepers as we're talking about family history is I love Mm -hmm. that his son, Alma the Younger, when he's teaching and trying to help people rally because they are struggling with their obedience, he uses this story of these people in his father's wilderness experience to motivate them. So it's like Alma 5, it's about 6 through 15 or so. And he uses this experience to say, you guys, do you remember the blessings that our fathers got? Do you remember um, the suffering that they went through and how their burdens were lifted? And because of that experience, they rise, you know, they step up and they step into these shoes of their ancestors and they say, okay, we can do better. And that's one of the things I think the blessings we don't realize about being knit. It's not just about having smoother presidency meetings or doing better in our little word calling. It's 
because we are knit and we are one. The blessings in our family and in the families of all those around us extend for generations if we just take the time to write it down and share it and then continue, you know, to continue coming to the Lord and saying, okay, where do you need me next? I'm ready. My heart's ready to be knit. Where do you want me next? And what's amazing is, I don't know, I just loved all of those words that you kind of pointed out from those verses, because it is those very um, calming and free. It's like that light that we talked about at the waters of Mormon that the spirit poured out upon them. Or, you know, he's talking about, like you mentioned, Alma saying he changed their hearts. He awakened them out of a deep sleep. And I just think that um, sometimes we need those reminders, but we can also use the examples of those that came before us to be reminded, or we can use the spirit. There's all these reminders out there of how we can more fully be connected to God, that we can make promises to him and that he'll make promises back to us. I just think that's so beautiful. I love, I love that jump down in the timeline, even further that you just gave us. That just like gives me the chills when you say that, like, Ooh, this is cool. Those connections in the scriptures that can really show us the proof of even they were using the stories of each other to teach um, and how much we can learn from them too. Right. Well, and think of what could happen for you 65 years from now, right? Like yeah. I just think the impact that it could be had is, is a beautiful thing and it's worth our time. Write it down. Share. It really is. It really is. And read the stories of others too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so and the stories of others of your family and in the scriptures, we get these two for a reason <laughs> to be reminded of them. Exactly. So I love it. So beautiful. Maria, I am so glad that you agreed to do this with me today. Oh, you I are loved it. So good. I, I think this has solidified because I've always felt this like, and maybe we are just because we're both like, yeah, for scriptures, but <laughs> this has definitely been fun for me to actually get the chance to sit and um, learn from you and hear your beautiful testimony. And not only that, but the way that you weave analogies into the way that you teach is just wonderful. You've you've got a lot of things figured out. I'm sure you don't feel that way, but I love <laughs> no, I learning actually. from you. So I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed that too. So thank you so, so much for being here. You guys, I will put in show notes the links that I mentioned to so you can connect with Maria and that free light keepers class. Again, Maria, thank you so much for studying with us today. Oh, I loved it so much. Thank you, yes. Krista. Okay, have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Bye.